It is a marvelous and wonderful love, isn't it? Well, take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 13, and as you do, um, I don't know what parents or who the parents are that are putting their kids up to this, but there's some kids in the church that came up to me three weeks ago after church and said, Pastor Thad, did you live in the 1900s? I've heard that before. And then I pointed out some that were born in the 1800s. <laughs> All right, guys, we want to tackle this subject. I've given you a uh, really a pamphlet in your bulletin. Um, there's several handouts, and um, I think you'll find them to be beneficial, hopefully. Um, they're designed for you to take and study yourself. Um, we're in this series on making disciples, right? And how does that work and how does that look? And we, we really started off of that whole um, instruction that Jesus gave his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that? That's where we started. And we talked about the uh, verb there being make disciples. And so we want to make followers. We know that the Lord is the one that saves. Everybody know that? All right. The Lord is the one that saves. But as members of the body, we have responsibility to disciple those that are new believers. And can I just um, encourage you, if, if you're an older believer and you've never been discipled, it's not okay that you haven't been but you need to be encouraged that you need discipling as well. Because the pattern's clear in the New Testament. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And maybe we could explain the, 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 the stagnant um, position the church is in today because disciples aren't being made. I, I really believe that. I think that that's why the biblical um, literacy is just off the charts. Illiteracy. They're just not, there's not an understanding of Scripture. Um, a lot of people are dependent on a pastor on Sunday or a teacher on Sunday to educate them in the Word. And that's part of it. Don't get me wrong. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. I only see you one day a week. Right? And it's just for 30 or 40 minutes, however patient you are. Right? It's not a long period of time, and so there's a, there's a, a ton of hours during the week, 167 hours during the week, we don't see each other, and, and so I'm thinking, well, in the 167 hours, we ought to be growing as disciples of Christ, and we ought to be investing in others, see. Um, church growth, you know, it's not one of those, there's not a magic formula for that. God grows His church. He does that. But he does that as his church is faithful to evangelize and disciple other people. <laughs> That's how it happens. I mean, you know, um, you don't just have 200 people walk in on a Sunday morning and say, Hey, we're here. Believers have to be actively discipling others. And, and, and you see that pattern in the New Testament with the disciples. And, and really, um, what I've tried to do is, is educate you on the importance of it based on what God's Word says 
But then I wanted to give you an example of what we ought to be teaching others. And so we're talking about this issue of love because in the last few hours before the cross, Jesus really gets the attention of his followers and he says, A new commandment I give to you that you what? That you love one another. Now you think about what's going on there, right? This is right after Judas has left them. And so he says, even as I have loved you. And, and, and so not only did he demonstrate his love for them by washing their feet, but he would ultimately demonstrate the greatest love for all mankind by going to the cross. He says, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, this is a pretty weighty statement. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, my followers. Is it hard to tell today who are followers of Christ? It's a good question to think through. You know, are, are we easy recognizable? <laughs> you know, and, and according to this verse, this is something that distinguishes those that belong to Christ. Does that make sense? That's what he says. He says, by this all men will know, it's pretty weighty, that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. And so... There's this acceptance of responsibility that I have as a believer to love other believers. And I don't notice in there any out clause. Anybody see an out clause? I don't see an out clause. I don't see this, well, but Lord, you don't know this guy. You don't know this girl. See? And it's not confined just to these walls. Loving the body of Christ goes beyond these walls. You agree with that, right? Because the body of Christ is made up of believers, of those who've been called out and saved. Well, the world, that's their message. You see that? I love me. You like that cartoon? That was given to me, by the way. I love me. That's the message of the world. The, the focus of the world is I love me. And that's really easy to do. Because in the context of Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes. And he's writing to believers. In the context of relationships, and how in the world am I to be different from the world? You say, I'm going to put my best foot forward. It's going to be all about my effort. And I say to you, no. That agape love is impossible to demonstrate apart from the Spirit of God controlling your life and my life. It's impossible. It's not normal. It's not normal for me to agapao someone in the body. It's normal for me to say to a member in the body, hey, it's all about that. That's what's normal. It's abnormal to live this lifestyle of agape love. That is abnormal. But the Lord told His disciples, be that way. There are two passages of Scripture that are really important. Because if we are going to take the command that the Lord gives the disciples, which is repeated in 1 John chapter 4, 
if we're going to take that command seriously to love one another, it's only going to happen when we're walking by the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit. Do you understand that? Because, listen, if I am going to love one another, then it's going to be the Spirit doing that through me as I come under His control. It's not about my efforts. It's about what the Spirit produces in and through me for the glory of Christ. That's what it's about. Have you ever been shocked at yourself? Any of you? When it comes to demonstrating this? You know, and you're saying, Lord, this person. That's just life, guys. In the body, that happens. Because I'm not always lovable. And you're not either. You're not. And I'm not. And so I need the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help me to love you. See? And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And joy and peace and patience and all those things. Produced as I'm walking by the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, in the context of relationships, in the context of walking as a believer, he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or excess, but be filled, be controlled with the Spirit. And if you go on to read in Ephesians 5, that's in the context of what's produced as I'm controlled by the Spirit. Then these relationships come into clear focus. But if I'm not controlled by the Spirit, I don't have a chance. You're not producing that in yourself. There was a lady that years ago... I'm not going to talk about anybody in here. <laughs> okay, So he's a lady years and years ago that I had a really difficult time loving. And, and I had to work with her all the time in the ministry. All the time. Every corner I turned, there she was. And she wasn't going anywhere. Lord, help me, by your Spirit, to love this person. They don't have the option to just chunk them. Can't do that. I mean, what does it say? In the context of John 13, he's telling his disciples to do what? Love one another. He didn't say, hey, Peter, you love John, but you don't have to love Thaddeus. Right? He's one of the disciples, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. So if we're going to accomplish this for the glory of God, it has to be as we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. So a few weeks ago after church, I was, we had, were wrapping up that lesson in, in chapter 13 and, and I had several people approach me. Hey, Thad, well, what does that kind of look like? What, are, what, are the, what, what does that look like? And I'm like, okay, well, thank you, Lord. And so I went and did some study. And what I have for you in your pamphlet is a lot of that. And, and it's a lot of practical stuff as it relates to, to love, okay? And one of those sheets you're going to see there, some of those passages on loving one another, I mean, on the one another passages, like serving one another, uh, loving one another, encouraging one another, okay? That's a packet there. If you want to know how to do this practically, that's a great sheet to look at. 
I would encourage you to take that sheet, look through it, study it in the context of the passage, and ask the Lord, hey, Lord, how can I do this in the life of someone else? With your help, I can. Um, but to answer the questions that, that uh, were presented to me, I went back through and I studied uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great passage on the characteristics of love. We're not going to cover all of them. That's not my goal in this. I've given you an additional sheet that gives you definitions of some of these words. I want to cover, cover a couple of them this morning. But I want to do it in the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul just comes to an abrupt halt. I mean, you have chapter 12 and chapter 14, and he's discussing spiritual gifts in the body. And, 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 and that's great. But in the middle, he interrupts himself. And he addresses this thing called love. And so in chapter 13, Paul speaks about the characteristics of love. And I wanted to give you um, some initial observations about the context, maybe so that you'll appreciate this a little bit more. Um, The church at Corinth was wonderfully gifted, uh, but there was strife and there was jealousy that existed in the body which was obviously harmful to two things, their unity and their witness. By the way, that unity piece, that's discussed a lot in the New Testament. Being unified. Being unified. You ever been to any kind of meeting in your life? Board meeting, committee meeting? I mean, that unity stuff, it just happens, doesn't it? That's hard. Especially hard, it's hard in the body. We're all different. We're all different. We look different. We act different. We are different. In the church at Corinth, Paul points out the difference in their giftedness. He says, if you look back in in chapter 12, down in verse 18, he says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Isn't that awesome? He didn't need your help or mine. That's what he's telling the Corinthian church. Listen, I have placed each one of you in the body just as I've desired. So some of you are hands and some of you are feet and some of you are arms and some of you are legs and that's okay. You know what doesn't happen enough today? This is a side sermon. You know what doesn't happen enough today? We don't see as many in the body using the gifts that God has given them. It's just not happening. You say, yeah, well, but that's your thing. Partly true. It is my thing. But it's your thing too. Isn't that great news? The survey said it's your thing. God said, listen, I've placed you, that's what he tells the Corinthian believers, I've placed you in the body just as I desire. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody has the gift of mercy. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. And now we don't want to do this. Well, Lord, you didn't give me the gift of mercy, so man, I'm not going to show any mercy. That's not the idea. God has given us gifts. He places those desires in our 
minds and in our hearts. He does that. Well, this church, man, they're a piece of work. Now, before we're too critical of them, I think the present-day church looks a lot like the church at Corinth in a lot of ways. You know, you go to... They, they were the church that ignored sin. Man, is that true of today's church? Let's just sweep that under the carpet. We don't want to deal with that. That's going to look ugly. We're going to lose 200 people, 400 people. We can't do that. You know what God is interested in, guys? He's interested in our obedience. That's what He's interested in. He's interested in our obedience as members of the body of Christ. So if we have to deal with sin, we have to deal with sin. By the way, sin easily entangles us. So that's all the more reason I need to be controlled by the Spirit every day. Because sin is right in front of me. And it's looking to entangle me. And there's so many in the church today, they're living lifestyles of sin. And churches aren't dealing with it. Well, the church at Corinth had that problem. But the church at Corinth also had this jealousy and strife problem. And it resulted in this disunity. And their witness was hampered. We don't want that, do we? Can we all agree to that? We don't want our witness to be hampered, do we? No. All got to, no, we don't want that. So then we have to pay attention to what God says in terms of of obedience in terms of those things that He wants for our lives. Well, that's one observation. Observation two, although the church at Corinth was very gifted, and they were, there was an absence of agape love on display for one another. All you have to do is go back to chapter 11. <laughs> the agape feast. They're supposed to be sharing, right? This is, this is a feast in which they come together to eat together and to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what was not going on? Sharing. You know what else was going on? Drunkenness. These people are out of control. They weren't sharing with one another. There was an absence of this agape love in this church. I'm convinced if you go to chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul at the end of that letter, I'm convinced he says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith because there were a lot of people that weren't acting that way. And can I just say, I think that's a good thing for you and me to do. We need to examine ourselves to see we're in the faith. You say, Dad, did you just say examine yourself? Yes! Nobody's exempt. Aren't, don't you marvel at the times the Apostle Paul is talking about and introducing the gospel to these churches? Does that ever catch your attention? You read through the New Testament, and when he addresses these churches, he's talking about salvation. And you're like, hey, Paul, you're writing to believers. Yeah? So? How many disciples of Christ today could explain the gospel of Christ? It's a good question. So, in this church, they didn't have their act together very well. There's some other observations I wanted to make around this text. The context of Paul's discussion in the midst of instruction concerning spiritual gifts, I said that. 
Paul uses present tense verbs. You really don't care about that probably, but it's important. Um, it's important because these characteristics that we're going to talk about are to be continuously a part of my life. That's why it's important to know that they are present tense verbs. How many of you high school students just love diagramming sentences? Amen? Subject, verb, right? Direct object, prepositional phrase. Those are my favorites. I love prepositional phrases, right? I'm weird like that. My mom made me that way, all right? Thirdly, Paul makes it clear that nothing is of any value apart from love. So this love piece in the life of a disciple or follower is crucial. How crucial? Well, Paul tells us, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, what's the next phrase? But do not have what? Love. I am what? Nothing. Then he says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I deliver my body to be burned or martyred, but do not have love, it what? It profits me nothing. <laughs> I mean, you read those first three verses, and you can see that love piece in the body of Christ is important. Can we agree on that? It's important. So then what does it look like? If it's important, what are the characteristics of love? And he begins with that. In verse 4. Now, this passage, as you know, many times is referred to where? Weddings. You know, you have these two young people that are standing up there and they're looking at each other and they're uh, nervous, right? And you hear the teacher or the pastor and he's, he's, he's reading 1 Corinthians 13 and those guys, uh, yeah, they're nervous. You ever wonder, pastors, right, if you, they don't even know if they're listening. I mean, I've met with someone, and they're like, hey, Thad, I don't know if I can repeat after you. I'm like, look, I'm only going to give you two or three words. Now, you might want to think about the words you're about to say to that person, right? But they're short phrases. You can do this. But you know, I've often thought, man, what a missed out opportunity at weddings to explain that in the context. So one time, do you know what I did? I did that. It's probably the longest wedding I ever did. But I was like, man, Lord, you know, I've been shortchanging this. So I explained it to him. And I didn't go 45 minutes or an hour, but I explained it. And I went back and I looked in my files this last week and I thought, when's the last time I touched on this passage? And it was 2008. Just mentioned it. And I thought, but I do remember mentioning it in pretty good detail at a wedding. Whose wedding? I don't remember that. But I remember doing that. Because I thought, I'm going to read this, but I'm like, no, these people need to know. Because it's really crucial. Wouldn't you say it's crucial in the body? Absolutely. Well, by the way, it's simple. You're going to really, you're going to say it's really simple. 
Because love is patient. That's the first one. All right? Love is patient. Larry Richards says, in terms of the body, he says, love expressed and experienced among members of the body is absolutely essential if that body is to be healthy and alive. Absolutely essential. Do you see those first two words? Expressed and experienced. In other words, I need to express agape love to my brother or my sister, and I need that in my life to be expressed to me. I need to be on the receiving end. I didn't give you that quote in your notes. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Thus, the development of love within the body is a primary concern of spiritual leaders, and it is. Guys, I'm concerned, but I want to... Can I commend you? I can do that, right? I see that in this body. I see agape love being demonstrated in this body. I love that. Right? If you have one of those barometers, and you got all... You know how, you know how they do for, like, some building fundraising, right? And they follow that thing up, and you're trying to color all that in. Man, it's all pretty much colored in here. I think we've done a really good job over the last 10 years of seeing that happen on a practical level. But we can always improve. You say, well, Dad, I thought you were trying to encourage us. I am. And so is the Apostle Paul. I've got to read this to you. Um, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I wasn't meaning to do this, but you've got to follow the Spirit. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, you talk about opposite. Corinthian church, Thessalonian church. Man. Dysfunctional to pretty functional. Um, And in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to do what? Excel still more. In other words, hey, you're doing good. You can continue to excel. That's a pretty good quote because I was thinking that that love expressed, that's a good thing, but the love experienced, and the Spirit just put this on my mind. I wonder how many people in the body don't experience that. You know, we had an individual several years ago that was homebound, Miss Eileen Keaton. Now, I don't know how many of you remember Miss Eileen Keaton. But, I mean, when I say she was homebound, that's what I mean. And not only was she homebound, but she was bed-bound. If I'm not mistaken, bed-bound for at least two years. I'm just, that's pretty close. Not getting out of the bed. No windows in her bedroom. Let me repeat that. Not getting out of the bed. But you know what I saw demonstrated? There's one you could forget. You said, Dad, that's ugly. I don't mean it like that. You can forget people who are homebound. That can happen. But 
but she's in a room by herself for hours and 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 hours. There were people in this body who were very cognizant of that and who spent time with Miss Keaton, praise the Lord. Hey, listen. Man, when you can run and you can jog and you can get going and you, you have no limitations, life is grand. But I've got to tell you something about age. Getting older stinks. It's not for sissies. It stinks. Because invariably every morning, every part of my body is awake except my right knee. And I have to, hey, dude, what's going on? Right? Some of you who are older have worse stories than that, right? But listen, it stinks. And Miss Keaton was, when she was young, she was vibrant. She taught piano. She was a school teacher. She was involved in the lives of people. And then all of a sudden, life hit her. Well, but she's not coming to church anymore. Time out. Just in case anyone's thinking this. Right? Just in case it crosses your mind. Once you're in the body, guess what? You're in the body. And we have responsibilities to every member in the body, period. She didn't know she was going to get like that when she was 50 years old. It happened. But I want to praise God that He used the body of Christ here to minister to that woman. That's what I'm talking about. Some people, it's harder to get to. So we have to make ourselves available to the Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, please lead me through this list. Take your directory, go through that, and say, Lord, help me. There are people right now that are homebound in our body that don't get out. How do I, how do I express this agape love? Visit that person. Write them a card. You said, that I'm not a good visitor. Oh, well, I wasn't either. I mean, I love it now. But... Write them a card, right? Cards mean a lot to people. Handwritten notes mean a lot to people. Well, all right, let's get to this first one. I don't even know what time it is, so don't tell me. Love is patient. I thought we'd start where he starts. Wow, what a difficult one to start with. Love is patient. Did you know that we're naturally not patient? You know that, okay. The literal meaning of the word is long-tempered. This characteristic of love reveals the truth that love does not retaliate when provoked. Ugh. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? When you come to think about it, that's pretty heavy. The characteristic of love reveals the truth that love does not retaliate when provoked. In the Greek culture... Retaliation was viewed as a strength. <laughs> so, if you didn't retaliate when someone wronged you, something was wrong with you. Well, in our world, man, in our world, it's all about retaliation, isn't it? You did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. That's how I grew up in school. Now, I remember going to public school. You spit on me, I'm spitting on you. 
or worse. Right? That's the truth. That's how kids grow up. By the way, these kids, I'm not telling you to go spit on anybody. But that's what happens. You think you know, you're sending your kids to school? Listen, these schools are filled with kids that, let's just say, aren't walking by the Spirit. Now, we have a few, but imagine how difficult it is for them not to want to retaliate because, listen, that's, that's the way our flesh is. We want to retaliate. Yeah, you hit me in the gut, I'm hitting you in the gut. That's the way it works. That's what the flesh does, and we don't have to work too hard at being fleshly. Well, Ray Pritchard says this about long-tempered or patient. He said, The word long-suffering describes a calm or quietness in the face of difficult circumstances. It describes the person who has been wronged and yet chooses not to get even. But hold on, in the Greek culture, that was viewed as a weakness. And in our world, it's viewed as a weakness. But we're not to be like the world. You ever had someone observe something somebody's done to you in your life and and they say to you, well, aren't you going to do this? If you've lived in any age, yeah, you've heard that. Aren't you going to get back at them? What are you going to do to them? That has no place in the body of Christ. None. (laughs) And believe me, in ministry... It's going to happen. I've had people yell at me, swear at me, lots of things. Swear at you? Swear at me. Now, in my flesh, you know what my flesh wants to do? Swear back. You say, Dad, that's awful. It's the flesh. You see what I'm saying? Listen, if I'm not walking by the Spirit, I am going to fulfill the desire of the flesh. It's going to happen. Yeah, I want to retaliate. I had a situation years ago where, oh my goodness, uh, oh my goodness, wasn't at this church. Remember, I'm using illustrations not connected to this church. And I had three people in my office yelling at me at the top of their lungs. And I'm like, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? I mean, hey, listen, you laugh, but what else are you going to do? Because in the flesh, you're going to go, <laughs> I mean, my, my flesh is just yearning to say, hey, listen, lady, let me tell you, right? But you can't do that. Why? Because that's not what God wants. That's why. That's it. You don't need another long explanation. It's not what God wants. So... It describes a person who's been wronged and yet chooses not to get even. Uh-oh. One early church father said, Patient is the word which is used of the man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself but will never do it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can I read you a story? Sure, I can. It's a great illustration of patience. It has to do with Abraham Lincoln, and maybe some of you heard this story. Um, Abraham Lincoln made a lot of friends, but leaders are going to have their enemies. If you're, if you're wanting to be a leader, it's not all glamour and glitz. In fact, there's a lot of it. I don't, if you're leading at a business, wherever you are, leadership's rough. 
He made a lot of friends, but leaders are going to have their enemies. One man that was a very outspoken enemy was Edwin Stanton. Stanton despised Lincoln. In fact, he printed in, in print, he called him a low, cunning clown. And on one occasion, he nicknamed him the gorilla, original gorilla. And he said that it was ridiculous for people to go to Africa wandering around trying to find a gorilla when they could find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. He was very bitter toward Lincoln, but Lincoln never replied to him. It came time to choose a war minister for the United States government. And you know what Lincoln did? He chose Stanton. When asked why he would choose Stanton, Lincoln replied, he's the best man for the job. (laughs) The night when the assassin's bullet tore out Lincoln's life, in the little room to which the president's body was taken, there stood that same man, Stanton, looking down into the silent face of Lincoln in all its ruggedness and speaking through his tears, he said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. He never accepted Lincoln's politics, but he couldn't resist the non-retaliating spirit of the man. (laughs) What a testimony. There's two other illustrations I want to give you. One is the Lord. (laughs) The patience of the Lord. He's the greatest testimony. Psalm 86, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. I love this verse, 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. (laughs) There's two illustrations I want to leave you with in this area of patience, and we'll be done for today. I want you to go in your Bibles, first of all, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Let me give you an illustration here of of patience, of long temper. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. You know, you think about the patience of our Lord. And what's one of the examples that comes to your mind? One of the examples that comes to my mind is the cross. In all the suffering and in all the agony and all the pain. And He was not guilty of anything. He hung on that cross and He paid for my sin. And He paid for your sin. And He stretched out His arms. And the greatest example of love was given. And one of the statements that Jesus makes from the cross is what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the greatest example. When you come to chapter 7 of Acts, you have another great example here. Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been preaching. By the way, the preaching of the early apostles was very offensive. Did you know that? (laughs) They did. I mean, they weren't thinking, well, now how am I going to say this in order that this person doesn't get offended? I'm convinced that's what a lot of pastors do today. They sit in their office, how am I going to do that? Well, just teach the truth. Let the book speak. So Stephen's preaching, and he says in verse 51, You are such great people. Is that what he says? No. 
He says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing it just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. (laughs) Wow. That hurt. Right? They weren't going, hey, that's great, Steve. No. This is their reaction. The Bible says, verse 54, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Man, what a picture. Right? You ever had somebody angry at you? That angry? But being full, look at that. Look at 55, guys. Where do we start today? Impossible for him to react the way he does without this. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Awesome. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. Man, these people were angry. It's a mob. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. (laughs) You want the beginning of the story? There it is. Was Saul. <laughs> it's amazing. I got to stop and pause here. Isn't it amazing? They're laying the robes, right? Their robes at the feet of this man named Saul, who is converted on the road to Damascus and who's the greatest evangelist and preacher. <laughs> it's amazing. Listen to me. Don't give up on people. Because when you give up on people, you're really giving up on God. Listen to me. God saves. God saves. Teresa's grandfather didn't get saved until he was 90. He lived one year after that. Best year he lived. But his wife prayed for him for 60 plus years. So we don't look at people and go, well, they're just... No. God saves. This is awesome. That's a whole different sermon. Verse 59. Look at this. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Man, listen to me. Here's a man who knew who he belonged to. Isn't that awesome? Do you know you belong to Jesus Christ today? Do you know that for sure? Right? And then verse 60, And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know what that phrase is there? Do not charge this to their account. (laughs) Okay. There is a great example of long-suffering, long-tempered, because if I'm being stoned, that's not good. It's going to hurt until I eventually die. But do you see the key phrase there? 
full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, under the control of the Holy Spirit, He does something that we look at this passage and we go, how in the world is that possible? I'm here to tell you, my friends, He did not do that in His own flesh. He did it under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we respond to people, guys, when we're being wronged in the body. So, love is patient. Let me give you these two. Um, I'm going to go through this because we're not going to get to this. Let me, um, you're really going to love that one. Um, let me give you three take-homes. I'll make up some more for next week. That's easy to do. Those who love Christ, who love, like Christ, excuse me, in the Holy Spirit's power, will evidence they are followers of Christ. Those who love like Christ in the Holy Spirit's power, it's not man's power, the Holy Spirit's power will evidence they are followers of Christ. So how important is it to be under the control of the Spirit? And he says, loving one another, I wrote here, loving one another is not optional. I don't see that anywhere in 1 John, and certainly Jesus didn't give the disciples an out. Loving one another does not mean loving those to whom we are naturally attracted. It means to go outside of that. You mean, Lord, i got to go over here? Yep. You know it would be really cool if you'll do this for me, right? Switch spots. Not right now. But like next week, go hang out with people that you don't. Keep me confused. That's easy to do. Right? Loving one another does not mean loving those to whom we are naturally attracted. And then last, remember the church, or called out ones, are beyond the borders of this room. Do you know this happens? I'll close with this thought. You know it happens. Do you know that some people leave churches so they don't have to run into that believer ever again in their life? <laughs> Did you know that that happens? People leave churches so they don't have to run into the some people. Listen, that's not biblical. Because if I have a problem with my brother or sister in Christ, then I need to do what? I need to go to them. I don't know how this is going to sound to you, but I'm going to end with this comment. There, now, I know there are different churches because of doctrine. But think about the commonality of churches, some that have the same doctrine, who have been separated over things that go back to this whole love issue. Tons of them. Love is patient. It's long-tempered. It suffers long. Wow, Lord, thank You for Your patience with me. Amen? (laughs) Thank You, Lord that you are patient with me. Because in my flesh, and I know it's in yours too, man, my flesh can get ugly at times. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Help me to be like Stephen. Know that I'm going to meet you and respond in a way that marvels other people. How in the world could he respond like that? Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, we can't do any of this Christian life stuff without you. 
I know there's been times in my life I admit to you and to these people here, I've tried to do it without you at times. And every single time I've done that, I've fallen flat on my face. Lord, we want to be people that obey you, I hope. And we want to be a body of believers that is recognized for excelling in love. And there are going to be times in the body of Christ when we're wronged. I pray that your Spirit would convict us of being submissive in our response. That we wouldn't respond in the flesh, but that we would walk by the Spirit, that we would be under the control of the Spirit, because it is true, the world does retaliate. And it does it all the time. So Lord, if we're different, then the world's going to know that just through that one piece. Help us today to live to your glory under the control of the Spirit of God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.